Well, golf fans, Rod Murray here with a quick reminder ahead of episode eight of the Good Good Golf podcast. Don't forget to log on to thegolfsociety.com.au forward slash talk and golf for the latest in golf fashion. The very best brands in the game and much of it not easily accessible here in Australia. The added bonus this week, big shoe sales from both G4 Golf and Puma. The G4 range is as much as $100 off and plenty to be saved on Puma as well. So if you're in the market for shoes or shirts or belts or gloves or caps or anything to do with golf, thegolfsociety.com.au is the place to be. Now stick around for episode eight and a terrific chat with special guest Mike Clayton. Hello and welcome to episode eight of the Good Good Golf podcast where it's all good and all golf all the time. I'm Rod Murray and I've got the joystick firmly in hand as we prepare to embark on another journey into all things golf and I get the feeling I might just need it this week as we welcome a special guest to the studio. Mike Clayton's in the house people and that's always good news for those who love not only the game but intelligent conversation about it. We'll bring Mike in and indeed my regular co-hosts Adrian Logan, Derek Duncan in just a moment. But first, as regular listeners know, it is homework time. Exercise one, go to talkandgolf.com and listen to our other shows. It's a network, people. In fact, according to the website, it is the podcast network for serious golfers. So if you include yourself in that group, you'll find something there that interests you. We've got the ultimate grumpy old men show in State of the Game that we haven't recorded for a while, Clates. So we should get on to that. I blame Shackleford because he's not yeah. here to defend himself. Okay. We, yeah, we need a new one. We do need a new one, but we're just waiting for the right guest because it's episode 100 and it's a bit of a milestone, so we need to uh, need to work something. Anyway, we, we will come to that. Promise we should get Wally Euler. I, <laughs> I, I discussed with Wayne, Wayne Bosley. Yeah, I know Wayne. Bill's yeah, son. Yeah. We discussed Wally yesterday. We should get Wally on. We really should get Wally on. We that would be true. We'll, we'll try to get Wally on. Uh, yes, yeah, so you're grumpy old man of State of the Game. You'll also find Feed the Ball with Derek, the course reports with Kurt Tyrrell, and Talking Golf History with Connor Lewis, who gets a special shout out this week after a brilliant episode on Lake Zurich Golf Club, which anybody who plays the game will enjoy. Trust me, that one is not just for the history buffs. Exercise two, go to thegolfsociety.com.au and buy something. Yes, the Golf Society is our network sponsor. They are an, genuinely an excellent site for those who like to look good on the course. Brands like Jay Lindeberg, Travis Matthew. Although I was chatting with Aaron last week. Aaron's the owner of the site. There's a big sale on shoes at the moment. G4, I think you're a fan of G4, Adrian? You've got my attention. Up to $100 off on some of their items. Nice. On the G4 stock, Puma also having a uh, having a sale. So it's a bit of a pod sale at the moment. If you're interested in shoes or indeed anything else, including accessories, shirts, belts, pants, all that sort of stuff, go to thegolfsociety.com.au, log on and have a look for yourself. Forward slash talking golf. Forward slash talking golf. There will be a link in there. Show notes. Thank you very much. Exercise three, share the show with some friends. We're trending in the right direction with the audience. It's growing each week, but we do want that to keep going. If you like what we do, help us out by telling a friend. If you don't like what we do, share the show with someone and then stop listening. That's up to you. And finally, exercise four, get in touch. Twitter seems to be the preferred method for most. We have a handle for the show, at underscore good, good golf, capital G, capital G, capital G, or you can contact the hosts directly, me at at rod underscore Murray, Adrian at at... Adrian Logan, Derek at at Feed the Ball. I think that's about all we've got time for. No, I'm only kidding. Uh, you can email me directly if you like also. Rod at talkandgolf.com. Let's get on with the show. Firstly, hello to Adrian Logue. We've already heard from you, Logue. But Logue, is your house safe as Sydney burns to the ground around us on catastrophic Tuesday? I'm deep in suburbia, like the built-up suburbia, so... I'm quite good, but it, it is pretty... It's horrendous. Uh, there's a lot of hor- horrible stuff happening around us at the moment. There is. Sydney. Well, and throughout the state and the weather today in particular, as we're recording, is really bad. Yeah. So 
uh, our thoughts with those guys. You can reach out from the windows at my house and touch the trees. So we're a little nervous, I'll be yeah, honest with you, yeah. and happy to be in here in the inner city. Let's all head all the way across the planet and introduce Derek Duncan. Derek, the first installment of our new segment, What's Derek Drinking? Drinking. So tell us, <laughs> what are you drinking? It's night time there. Oh, funny you should ask, Rod. This is, uh, well, it's, it's so it's, not too late in my time, but it's it, the kids have gone to bed. So um, it's Scotch Hour in nice. Atlanta, and I'm drinking the Ardbeg. It's an Isla Scotch mm-hmm. whiskey, the Korvrecken. Uh, if uh, the actor Brian Cox was here, he would be able to really uh, give that the say that right. appropriate <laughs> Scottish twist that it deserves. But it's an uh, it's, it's a smoky PD Isla malt. Um, Isla, and it's Isla <laughs> malt, and it's. Did you just correct me, Adrian? <laughs> Continue. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's tasting quite nice. Fantastic. Good to have you aboard. Looking forward to getting some uh, thoughts from you today. And I'm sure you're looking forward to chatting to our special in-house guest. If you thought I was the Troy McClure of Golf Podcast, you clearly haven't been t- paying attention because that title belongs, obviously, to our special studio guest, Mike Clayton. Clates, normally I'd write some sort of an intro, but really what's left to say except for, hello, Mike Clayton. Great to have you in the studio. Thank you, Rod. It's nice to finally see this. Interesting building. Yeah. Find out where, where you operate from. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. High praise. Uh, is the word for it. No question about that. We're going to uh, dip into all sorts of stuff today and good to have you aboard. I completely forgot where we were going to start. Hang on a minute. I've got to go to the list. Uh, ah, follow-ups. Adrian, this is your uh, your part of the uh, part of the show. And we've got some reviews and some bits and pieces from various listeners. Oh, sure. You said you, know, you can get in touch with us on Twitter. Kevin Van Cleef took advantage of that and uh, said that, uh, what a pleasure it is to listen to the Good Good Golf Podcast. Uh, but he's particularly enjoyed getting to know Adrian Logue for the well-rounded conversation all around golf tragics okay. out there. Thank you very much, Kevin. I've already uh, given my thanks to Kevin. It passes, Kevin. On Twitter. It comes a point where you get across the hump with Adrian, I can assure you. <laughs> if I haven't if I haven't complimented you enough, Kevin, I'd just like to say your name, surname, Van Cleef, is a very powerful sounding name. Power move. It's a real powerful yeah. name. Well done. You could be like a titan of industry or anything. You could be anything you want, Kevin. That's a great name. <laughs> go, go forth and succeed, Kevin. Yeah. Well done to you. Thank you for the feedback. Uh, well done. All right, let's uh, hook into some topics. I've got one that I want to bring up shortly, but, Clates, before we press the record button, we've been sitting here chatting with you. You, of course, are from Melbourne, Australia's spiritual home of great golf. But today we find you here in Sydney, which is not Australia's spiritual home of great golf. What about Sydney golf? And I actually want to broaden this discussion to, obviously, the courses here are different, the landscape is different, the grasses are different. We're clearly not in Melbourne. But golf culture... Generally, do you notice any differences between Sydney and Melbourne in the approach to the game, courses aside? There's more, it seems like there's more understanding of architecture in Melbourne, what's good architecture. And it's Melbourne, it's a bit like the two cities. Melbourne is much less flashy, mm-hmm. it's much less into flash. I think Sydney, the Australian was a classic case of an understated, very classy, linksy, burned off brown golf course that turned itself into a Jack Nicholas course and some people love it and some people have less affection for it but it was that could never have happened in Melbourne mm-hmm. if Jack Nicholas had gone with Kerry Packer to Kingston Heath and said we're going to rebuild the golf course to hold the Australian Open we're going to make it the best tournament the fifth best tournament in the world fifth major not a chance no chance so that, that only could have happened in Sydney. Now, what comes first, chicken or the egg? Is that because the architecture in Melbourne is already superior so people appreciate more what they've got? Well, Australians have never done a very good job in preserving their golf courses. If you look at – someone pointed out 
an old aerial, the famous aerial of Honeydale Metro Commonwealth in Yarra, Yarra in, 19, in the 1940s. And if they'd left them alone, I mean, Metro lost nine holes because of a, they did a land swap. But if they'd left those courses alone, they'd all be better than they are now. In fact, Tom Doak's gone to Yarra Yarra. And after 50 years of dismantling Alec Russell, he's putting Alec Russell back in one year. And it looks terrific. So, you know, we, we haven't done a great job in preserving what was left us in the 30s by the great architects. You do a lot of travel, Adrian. We're a, golf's a sort of a it's, a, it's a global thing. We have our own language. Golf is the world over, understand the language and whatnot that we speak. Do you see, you often talk about Denmark, and I'm fascinated by golf in Denmark and Scandinavia. Do you see big differences in culture globally and also that Sydney-Melbourne thing? I know you've spent a lot of time in Melbourne as well. Yeah, well, I, th- I think Sydney needs to look at some regions overseas and decide what it wants to be, in a sense. Melbourne has its own identity. That's great. The land in Sydney doesn't really lend itself to its own identity. But then there are elements like, you know, you've got your eucalypts and you've got the climate that's right for Kaikuyu. It's California, right? And Exactly. So so you look at a Riviera and some George Thomas stuff in in California and why didn't that happen here? And why isn't that the model that people look at when they see Riviera? a site like Eleonora to George Thomas. Yep. No chance. Ohio Valley in, there's no it? chance that's not a top 20 course in yep. Australia. Yep. Well, that's an amazing piece of land. It's got yep. incredible views. So it's a beautiful place to play golf. It's seductive and beautiful. It's a great analogue for Ohio Valley in, isn't but it? But if, if George Thomas had that piece of land, <laughs> yep. he would have done an amazing golf course yep. on that thing. Yep. And then, you know, your typical Sydney course, the parkland setting with, you know, bent grass and poa greens and kaikuyu and eucalypts. Clay base and those sorts of Clay base. It's Riviera. It's Bel Air Country Club. Mm. It's, Do you know, feel like it's land that was big enough for 14 holes and they jammed 18 on it? Yeah. So many courses. Oh, there's a lot of that. Yeah, seem like that. And that's getting uh, – as time's gone on, that's got more and more difficult, of course, as the ball's gone further and those sorts of things. Yeah. And the, the things have only become more cramped, haven't they? We haven't had space to expand. So. In Melbourne, it was easier because the land wasn't as interesting. Was better soil, but the land wasn't as interesting. So, but it was flatter, so it was easier to fit. Yeah. It's easier to fit a golf course under a flat piece of land. But when you've got the, again, using Eleanor or Pimble as examples, when you've got the big hills and the, there's lots of it you can't use. Yeah, yeah. So, so the routing's got to be much more creative. And, yeah. But if you get it right, you George Thomas it and get it right. Then of course it's going to be a better golf course than a golf course on a flat piece of land. Yeah, indeed. Let's use George Thomas as a verb. <laughs> yeah, you George Thomas. George Thomas. It. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right, Derek. Does any of this make sense to you? Are there cultural zones of golf in the US? Does that make sense? There could be a different golf culture between Sydney and Melbourne. I think from outside Australia, most people when they think of golf in Australia, they think of Melbourne. And Sydney's a very, very different place. I think a lot of international visitors are quite surprised what they find in Sydney. Is that true in America as well? What's it like where you live? Well, I think for sure it is. Um, I mean, if you look at our – in the United States, you have cities like Philadelphia and Chicago and, and the New York area and Long Island, which are incredibly rich in in golf, uh, in golf history. Some of our best courses are in those cities. And then you have other cities, you know, like Baltimore, Washington, D.C., or, or St. Louis, or Kansas City, um, the city that I live in, Atlanta, it's not as old. Atlanta's kind of a newer city, but um, there's almost no tradition of golf to speak of. It certainly can't match the tradition and the the quality of courses and the quality of architecture 
as the the other cities like Chicago and Philadelphia, for instance. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a regional thing, and and I'm I'm very I'm I'm listening very interestedly because you're talking about this what what the differences are and what causes those differences the soils and and the climates and what kind of grasses you can grow and the topography and is there a lot of elevation changes uh, all of that goes into the mix I, I mean Chicago doesn't have better soils or, or better topography than St Louis does but for some reason there's something that also that happened there and I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it was happening from 1900 to 1930 that enabled that city to produce a lot of really remarkable golf courses, you know? So it also goes down to, you know, who, who's founding these clubs, these historic clubs, what, who, what kind of industry do you have in, in these cities? Um, and, and, and where do the people who settled these cities come from? So maybe there's some of that, that, that plays into, uh, wherever you go to find golf, there's always these backstories. Um, but I do think ultimately like what Mike Clayton said is, is it comes down to your, your soils and what type of golf courses you can produce based on, on the climate and, and what's, underneath the grass well speaking of soils sydney has a great sand belt yeah and and I was, it sort of took your work at the lakes clates to sort of peel back these decades of overgrassing yeah. and trees and and for people to realize that there's some great sand under there and yeah i think derek mckenzie came here and centered his work in melbourne so if he'd gone to perth perth would have by far the best golf courses in australia because it's got the it's best got the land great, and the least play it's got the best it's mix. got the yeah. smallest population so, <laughs> so, he went, so he went to melbourne russell was alec russell was in melbourne his partner so that, that that was where he centered his work and people got it in melbourne but in america you had you know great architects working all over the country thomas in california you know the maxwells were in oklahoma and through the middle of the country you had all those you know, Wilson and those Tillinghast up in the northeast. All those, so, so you, you had great architects spread across the country, but we never had that in Australia. So what effect, and I, I can only think of in my own experience, grew up in Sydney, came to golf, teenage years. The courses that were revered by other people I played golf with in Sydney, uh, the private clubs, the Concord, Pimble, Kalara, those sorts of places uh, were known as the good golf. So immediately your education has been about something very different to if it had been in Melbourne. And I recall distinctly when I went to Scotland and the UK with my mate BJ in 90, 1997, by about course number three, I was thinking to myself, this is nothing like golf I've ever seen, thought about or understood. And it took a day to be like, but wow, this is proper golf. And you start to look more critically at the golf you've grown up with. So there's a, is the, is the thought process of golfers in Sydney different, Adrian, because of the courses we grow up with? I guess that's what I'm, uh, clumsily, that's what I'm trying to get to. To an extent, I, I think that applies to the whole of Australia, even our best courses in Melbourne and in other, in other states, that it's all over formalised and you just don't have that informal um, charm that you have in Scotland um, or in Ireland. Uh, where there's you know surprisingly world class golf, just combined with charming and sitting on simplicity, the high, sitting on the high street, just un, 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 yeah, exactly this unadorned simplicity yeah. that is very attractive. We just I don't think we have that anywhere in Australia. Well, and you get the the pretentiousness of people concerned. All they comment on is the condition of the golf yeah. course. Oh, the course is in magnificent condition. I don't care. <laughs> well, are the holes any good? You yeah, know, you yeah. Know, I don't care if it's perfect grass or. It was nice if it's nice grass, but you know, you know, it becomes the, the overarching thing is what condition is the golf course in? I mean, really? Is that the most important part of golf? I mean, yeah. You know, when, when Royal Melbourne was, went through its troubles in the late 90s when they lost the greens and the fairways weren't great, 
I'd play with the captain who was under heaps of pressure from the members. I said, Peter, it doesn't matter. It's still the best course. People are complaining about it. It's still great holes. You can still hit the ball off the fairways. The fairways aren't that bad. So I mean, don't get so, you know, this is, it'll come back. It'll be fine. Well, arguably, you know? the. The grassing there's got some issues anyway. Well, they, yeah, they put that cooch grass in, but stopped the ball running, and it's not as good. To, I mean, I, I would rather have hit off the dirt that was there, or the, the burned out. It's much better to hit off than what's there now. Yeah. Although it's getting better, I think, isn't it? It seems like it's flying down and getting. But when that when that Bermuda grass first went in, it was so thick and spongy. It was yeah. it achieved what they off. set out to achieve. And well, they don't, but the unintended consequence was you lost that beautiful ball ground club contact. Yep. Which what which makes Bamboogle the, the the best condition course in Australia by a mile because it's one of the few you know Cape Wickham where you're playing off proper grass for golf really. Yeah. If you took most Sydney golfers to Bamboogle Dunes, who you're only there because you've taken them there, condition would be the thing that they would say it works against the course at Bamboogle. The condition of this course is terrible because it doesn't look dark green like we're used to seeing golf. But you have that wonderful interaction with the ground. I, actually, I wouldn't know. I was about to say, I wouldn't know either. It doesn't, <laughs> but, doesn't play in thin shots, Clates. It's, <laughs> it's amazing it's amazing how many people come back from Bamboogle and tell me the course is in bad condition. Terrible simple. condition. That's so every right. time I go Awful. there, it's perfect. Yeah. You must have got on a bad day. And I know it's perfect. But they just they see divot marks in the fairways and you know brown bits and just you know what a proper golf course should look yeah. like. We're not yep. proper for – well, no, no. It's, yeah. You, you know, what, what, what golf looked like when it was – in Scotland, yeah. they don't. They want to see this monochrome colour of beautiful green with no divots, and every lie is exactly the same. And if it's not like that, it's no good. Well, I mean, to me, it's the other way around. Mm, I agree. So, more importantly, Derek, to expand this out, is any of this actually important to the game and the industry that is golf and educating people and bringing more people in to allow them to enjoy the game? The role of the course always fascinates me, and these things all play into that, don't they? In the health of the game, I think so. You, the, I don't know anybody who only knows golf through a driving range or a simulator. So you, when you when you when you play golf and you're interested in it, you spend your time on the golf course. Mm-hmm. But this goes back to the whole arg, the whole it's not an argument, the whole concept of, and I think we've talked about it. I know Adrian has a nice view on this. Is is are you somebody that looks up or looks down when mm-hmm. you play golf? Yeah. Uh, as so many people are just focused on making club contact with the ball and what their score is and that's okay and I, I for the record i have no problem with that if you're playing golf i think i think uh you can play it any way that you want to play it but for those people that that do either want to look up or are struck by something that makes them look up and inspired to look up and then continue to look up the golf course absolutely has a major role to play i would like to think it, it, it's the number one yeah. issue or the motivator why people play golf is to to go out in nature and experience new landforms, new exposures, to be out walking somewhere, to always have a new place to play if you choose if you can travel around a little bit, even within your own region. I, I'd like to think that that the golf course is the major motivator for why p- people play golf. There's a lot and of things. If you, yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, no, so, uh, if you buy into that, then you open the door to thinking that there's a lot of ways that that experience can go wrong or take people down the wrong path where it's not healthy for the overall, I don't want to say, I hate the word good of the game, but I mean, there are a lot of false, you know, trap doors that, that, that 
you can expose people to when you're playing golf courses that are have lost their way or, or they overemphasize you know things that are expensive and the as we say the accoutrements of the golf course mm-hmm. so it's, it's 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 a little bit of a slippery slope um and that's why it's good that we always continue to talk about that and, and emphasize what whatever you think is good about golf and golf courses, you know, try to emphasize that and, and talk about it. And, and that's what you guys are talking about right now mm. in Sydney and, and how that the, the golf culture in Sydney leads to golf courses that in your estimation could be, and maybe should be a little stronger. Well, I wonder whether it's the other way around. I'm not sure. That's what I wonder about whether, which came first, the chicken or the egg. Does the less than spectacular architecture of golf courses in Sydney lead to a culture where the course is less appreciated or does a lack of, appreciation for good architecture lead to golf courses in Sydney which are architecturally less interesting. Let me ask this. Would what would have happened if and I think you guys were touching touching, you know, kind of insinuating this a little bit. What if McKinsey would have made one stop in Sydney and built or, or renovated a, a golf course there that was on par with something in that you find in Melbourne now, just one course and then left? Would that have well, influenced if- other cuz we know we know club members are very you know, particular about their course, and they're very proud of it usually. And if the club down the street or you know in the next neighborhood is doing something and getting accolades, and and you know people are excited about it, you know they your club you're going to want to try to try to you know keep pace with that. Would that have changed the direction of golf in Sydney? Well, he came to Sydney and mm-hmm. wrote. He did a little bit at New South Wales. Mm-hmm. They claim more than he actually did. Every course that Mackenzie touched yeah. almost claims. He, 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 he came and had a coffee at uh, Pimble. Oh, there yeah. you go. No wonder it's such a spectacular place. He was in a lot of bunkers at Royal Sydney. But Royal Sydney yep. was a look. The old photos of Royal Sydney looked like a sandbelt. Sand sand it looked really, really good. Yeah. good. The Australian course. as well, the Carnegie Clark design at yeah, Australian yeah. looked great. Mackenzie went there. The old course. So there was much less respect, I guess, for the mm. – well, that's not true because Melbourne did the same thing. I mean, Yarra Yarra did the same thing as Royal Sydney. Mm. They kind of dismantled everything that was great about the golf course to the point where it wasn't any good anymore. Mm. And – Yarra's on the way to being fixed, and Royal Sydney's Gil Hansen's going to come and fix that. For, you know, again, for want of a better word, I mean, Gil will do a great job to yeah. turn Royal Sydney into the golf course it should be. But the Australian was just a bizarre confluence of, you know, the power of the most powerful, wealthy person in the country, mm-hmm. Gary Packer, and Jack Nicholas, the greatest golfer, colliding in the 70s to let's make this the fifth major. And so they did what they did. And it wasn't surprising what they did, but. They really built a golf course that's much more suited to the middle of America than, than it is know, Sydney. And it's so a, the answer. So the answer is no. <laughs> that would, it, well, he, have made the one course he had some substantial influence on in New South Wales is on a piece of land that you can't really replicate next door or right. anywhere else in Sydney. Yeah. Um, so I'd say that. But also, New South Wales is a golf club that's always, I think, struggled with, a little bit with the character of the course. It's got a bit of a mix of, you know, it's got blowout bunkers, it's got some revetted yeah. bunkers, which they put in later. A lot a lot of courses in Sydney, and this isn't the case with New South Wales, I think they're pretty good stewards of that piece of land, really good stewards, but the a lot of the courses in Sydney have enough money to stuff it up. That, that's, <laughs> that's right. and They can't leave well enough yeah, alone because there's, there's yeah. money in the bank yeah. to be yeah. spent. And so what do you spend that money on? You don't you don't necessarily put it into the golf experience. You put it into you know, gardens. Conditioning and, and maintenance. and The car park. Head, hedges and car the park. Car, there's some great ideas in this article. You, you've uh, <laughs> gave us, <laughs> we, might right, we put a link to that. We in might the show come to that. And Sydney has great clubhouses. Sure. There's some beautiful yeah. clubhouses yeah. in Sydney. As high praise indeed from, uh, from Clates. Uh, uh, just to touch on something you mentioned there, Derek, and I think it's interesting, you talked about Gil Hands at Royal Sydney. I know that 
one of the reasons Tom Doak got the gig at Concord Golf Club, which he redid here in Sydney in the last mm. couple of years, was partly because Concord knew that Gil Hands was going to be working in Royal Sydney and there was an element of, well, we need to show Sydney that Western Sydney golf can compete in that way, so we're going to get a big-name architect to do our job as well. So that's a, Concord is the former Royal Sydney too, I think, isn't it? Indeed. The, yeah, for, well, the original the, site. Yeah, that's right. The, the split. So it's interesting. You're right, Derek, that you know, there's a bit of a keep up with the Joneses thing happening there, and that's a positive influence where it has been in those yeah, and Can I just cases. ask another question? This is maybe a touchy no, subject. No, that's it. No. Yeah, are okay. there no um, great architects in Australia that can handle these jobs? I know, I know Clayton uh, has been involved, heavily involved in this, but... Great question. Um, you know, to, to go across the world and 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 ask Gil Hans or, or Tom Doak to come and they 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 do marvelous work, but but my God, I mean, can't I mean, there's got to be other people that can that are local that understand the tradition and the history and and are are sympathetic to the needs of these clubs that are, that can also do a great job. Cultural cringe, class? a little bit. I mean, it's true, but you know, Mackenzie, Tom would say, well, Mackenzie transformed golf in Australia. Mm-hmm. He brought someone in from overseas who transformed golf in this country. So why wouldn't you do it again? When you've got two guys as good as that, then I don't have a problem with them coming here and working because I think they'll do great work. I mean, I think Tom beat us for that job at or OCCM for the job at Concord, and I think we'd have done as good a job as Tom did there. And, I, and you know, Yarra Yarra, in a sense, was hiring Tom was crazy in one sense that, you know, we lived 10 minutes away. He's in Michigan, and... Why would you hire someone in Michigan when you've got really good architects 10 minutes away? But the nature of that job was it was always going to be a tree massacre. <laughs> and if I'd gone and done that, the members would have gone crazy. Yeah. So they made the right pick. You'd have had to move to Michigan. Well, they made the right pick because they knew it was going to be a tree massacre. Yeah. But if Tom massacred the trees, that was going to be okay. If I'd massacred the trees, that was going to be a World War III. Yeah. So Tom came and massacred the trees which was absolutely what needed to happen. And 95% of the members say, isn't this fantastic? Or if I, and if you can't get 5% of it done like what you're doing, you're not trying. <laughs> so he was the right pick because uh-huh. they knew it was going to be a tree massacre and they could sell him massacring the trees but not me. So, you know, I think aside from that, I think we, you know, I don't, don't think he would do any better job than we would do or I would do. But, you know, that was a wise pick. I mean, Concord was a, it's interesting, Sydney. I mean, we'd done the lakes. We'd done Bonnie Doon. Tom got Concord. Gil got Royal Sydney. Um, Kyle Phillips Stop is, bashing the table, please, Kyle Kate. Phillips has done a plan up at Eleonora. So it's a bit, you know, they're, they're picking different people for different reasons. I mean, Manly picked Thompson and Woolridge to do that job there. So, what, so part of what you've indicated there is that architects come with baggage. So for the purposes of Yarra Yarra, you would come with baggage. And yeah, you know, and I think a lot of people yeah. in Sydney think that they look at the fourteenth green at the lakes and think that's what I do. And the thirteenth, and the third, well, they're terrible greens. Why well, they're actually great greens, I think. Thirteenth at Bonnie Doon. Yeah, so you can do three <laughs> three greens out of thirty six, and you get labelled as you're the guy who built those crazy greens. Yeah, well, go to North Berwick and take a look at the sixteenth green at North Berwick or the Road Hole or the fourteenth green at Augusta. Is the, yeah. the the problem's more the change, isn't it, Clates? We don't, as humans generally, we don't do well with change. And when you change something, even if you're changing it back, but if you're changing it for a generation who didn't know what was there before, that's where you run into yeah. well, problems. of course, of course, you know, people 
everyone loves their own golf course. They, you go to Eleanora, for example, you can see why people love playing golf there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's full of architectural mistakes, I think, but it's got the most amazing views of, aside from Croncesier in Switzerland, it's got some of the most amazing views of any golf course in the world. It really does. Yeah. It's incredible. It's in beautiful condition. It's difficult. It's really pretty. You can see it's an amazing clubhouse. It's secluded. It's quiet. You, see, you can see a couple of houses in the golf course. It's a, it's yeah. a wonderful you can place see to be. Why people isn't it? love playing golf. It's a really nice place to it. be. Yeah. And ninety five percent of the people don't care what I think about architecture. Don't care about golf course architecture, and they take what they want from the experience of playing there. And the other five percent don't agree with and, you anyway. And so so <laughs> it doesn't matter what I think. Who no. cares what I think? You know. But I, as a piece of architecture, I just see. Well, you could do that better and that better, and this would be a better course if you got rid of that bunker and. So, uh, you know. so that's what I find interesting. Adrian, is it not the case that if Clayton built a better architectural golf course at Eleanora, that you would then have the full package and that's better for the game, including all of those who play there? It, it, I think it's got to be coupled with some education or something. Like That's happened at Bonnie Doon in mm-hmm. Sydney. We've, we've got a course there that's a sort of a little, even a bit of an architectural playground. Like mm-hmm. There's a lot of really interesting features there. It's nice and firm. It's sand-based. It's hilly and interesting. It's it's on that difficult land, but it's sand-based. And it's really close to the CBD. It should be kind of the most influential course in Sydney. Mm-hmm. It's, it, you can actually you can get on there. Yep. Uh, and time will tell. Maybe, maybe it will. Um, so I'd see a course like that perhaps spreading more influence to a course like Eleonora. There's like... Derek was saying there's that keeping up with the Joneses type of ac- uh, type of aspect to it. But, you know, the members at Eleanor right now, they have exactly the course they want. Yeah. It, it, they've gotten delivered exactly what they want in terms of member experience and the whole thing. Uh, it, and there's an education piece that could go along with it to help them understand that, you know, they could have even greater golf there. They could have world-class golf there. Eleanor, Derek, is a lot like, you know, to me, it, needed the restraint of Mackenzie at Augusta with 24 bunkers would have been fine. Yep. Because the land's so interesting. Have a look and, at photos. The, it's really the good. shots look so good. That you don't need these bunkers here. Yep. Just, mm. I mean, Melbourne needs, Melbourne needs bunkers because the land's so dull. You know, right. You're in fine form today, Clayton. This is brilliant. I mean, Metropolitan, where I've played for 45 years, it's a, perhaps flat, the most un- uninteresting piece of land any good golf course in the world's built on. Yeah. So they place the hazards beautifully to make the golf interesting but if the land had been more interesting as Eleanor then you don't need the bunkers yeah. because you know, the, the landforms make the shots interesting with this this subject that Derek raised about local architects there there is there are a lot of local golf course architects in Australia but Plenty. they they seem to be doing a lot of very minor renovation work or be but doing master plans and that sort of thing yeah. what what's stopping them from breaking out doing more international work is it is, that a, distinct, work? is that a distinctly oh, australian tyranny, thing tyranny or? distance i would think as much as anything no or or it, establishing a reputation we don't build a lot of new courses yeah. here so perhaps yeah. it's a little yeah. bit difficult to establish and if we a do, reputation who gets to see them from overseas who might say oh whoever built that i want them to come and look at something for me so there's there's a bunch of stuff works against you unless you prepare you want to go out into the world and try to sell yourself yeah. I don't see a lot of opportunity I mean, there are very few Australian architects have built I mean I don't count Greg Norman as an Australian architect he's an Ameri- he's an he's an Australian living in America building stuff around the world and some of it happens to be in Australia yeah. so Bob Harrison's an Australian architect Harley Cruz we are I am um, 
Peter Thompson did a lot. Of, he did prolific work, mm-hmm. amount of work in Asia. Someone but, like but, Ross Watson's prolific in yeah, it's Sydney. Graham Marsh, yeah, I mean Graham Marsh. He's done a lot, quite a bit of work overseas. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. But it's hard to get work overseas. You've got to get out there. We're a long way away and yeah. people don't think of us. Yeah. No. You know? So I'm off to London next week to Yeah, that's right. Oh, well, start your new humble brag. Yeah. Humble brag and, uh, and well done to you. Just before we move on from golf course architecture, which is clearly a, a topic that interests us all, Clates, tell Derek what you just told us about par threes before we press the record button. Well, it's a bit of the devil's advocate. Someone, Tony Deere from England sent me a, to, to write, you know, give me your favourite par threes, and what do you, what, what do you think about par threes? And I was, I said, this is devil's advocate a bit, but I said, a course can carry really average par threes if the long holes are great, the fours and the fives. But you can't carry a course with great par threes if the, if the if the longer holes are dull. So in a way, the role of the par, the only point of the fifth hole at Royal Melbourne is to join the great fourth hole up the over the hill down to the right par five. With the amazing sixth hole, the only point of the fifth to get you from the fourth green to the sixth tee, just a way to use that tricky bit of land. You just build a little one shot hole and go to it. So they're kind of, you know, I mean, there are some amazing par threes in golf. They're an important part of golf, but you, you, the weight and the, and the worth of a golf course shouldn't be measured by the quality of the par threes, but rather the, the, the two and three shot holes. It's hard to introduce strategy into a par three, yeah. right? As a well, well, a, well you, can, you can create, as McDonald tried to do with, with the variety, the Redan and the Short and the, the Beer It's, you can create holes that ask for specific shots. And because everyone's playing from the same place off a good lie, then you can expect them to try and hit those shots. So you can play the draw par three, the fade par three, the high stopping shot and the, and the bouncing shot, and you can build those four holes. And they're, they're fun to play. They're, people love them, but they're – Arguably, their most important role is to just keep the routing going, to get to get you out of tricky corners, and to connect up the great two and three shot holes. What do you reckon about that, Derek? When I heard Clayt say that, I found that quite confronting. Is that my problem? Or is is he right? Is that how you've always thought about par threes? I think you could say that one of the problems that architecture got into for so many decades, and maybe there, maybe in, in some cases it still exists, is that. The, the par three played an outside outsized role in the popularity of a golf course, and I definitely I think I can speak to American architects. I think for a generation or, or more, I think architects would often go into projects looking for par three holes. That you know, and, and they would almost. Why? I, Why? I can't say this for sure because I wasn't there, but you know, they would look for par three holes to sort of be like like the the the. Um, the, the placeholders for a routing and you would hear architects for years and years talk about how they wanted one par three to go north and one to go to south you know running all four different directions so instead of locating the par threes naturally where they they help the they help the routing as mike was saying yeah they would almost start start there or or use the, those par threes as selling points and as visual opportunities and, and a place to really grab attention and get the golfer to like like have a, a view of something that was very beautiful, or a, a very unordinary. And, and in that respect, they weren't using them as, again, like I think Mike's got this exactly right. They weren't using these this type of hole to enhance the 
other holes on the golf course. They were using them as as a showpieces. Um, and of, of course, I'm generalizing that that didn't happen all the time. Now I think we, we we're in an age where I, I don't think that that happens as much, at least with the top architects. You know, you go to Pacific Dunes and you have back-to-back par threes, which had never been done probably on a really, really prominent golf course since Cypress Point. But you know, it's it's you can imagine that happening more and more now if it makes sense in the routing because you're using the using the par threes just as you would use any other hole as a function uh, to en- enhance the overall routing experience. Um, so hopefully, but I, I understand what Mike's saying, and I, I think I think it's a very astute comment um, that that par threes. And then my, I guess what I would add on to that is I think par threes definitely for a long period of time uh, were, were being used as, as showpieces uh, to the detriment maybe of the overall golf course. Yeah, as, as amazing as the 16th at Cypress Point is, that's one of the best holes in golf. It seemed like, I mean, and, and Tom Doak spoke about it, about those Hawaiian courses that always had the spectacular down the coast par three to sell the Mm-hmm. rest of the golf course it might have had 17 dull holes back inland but there was always that right. one amazing signature hole picture shot that sold the golf course but right and in a way that was effective because the the, the result of that somebody who lived in kansas would see the, the that in a magazine and they'd see it in mount akia the third hole i think it's a third hole and, and they would want to go to hawaii and play that golf course they'd never knew they wouldn't know anything else about the rest of those holes but they, because of that one magazine cover golf yeah, shot it's all there in front that of would you. be enough a- that would sell it for them so in, in one respect the, the the architects were onto something there but uh, i'm pretty sure that almost anybody who would go and play those golf courses would leave feeling that they didn't quite it didn't quite live up to that expectation level and of course again once once again you go back to the old course two part threes and one of them's the eighth is you could you know it's a fun hole to play but it's nothing no, no one's going to include the eighth hole on the list no. of top <laughs> world's great golf hole well, yeah, I that's mean, true 11 is a great hole very much yeah but that hole that course only has two par threes and yeah. it, it doesn't and only one of them is know, worth talking about you're right yeah. so that's the the point I'm making about mm. a course being carried by the strength of the two and three shot holes but if you gave an architect that piece of land now you know he's going to build four par threes you're right, because too. there's well, certainly at least well, three, because there's no chance you can sell building a golf course that's only got two, two par three. threes, and, and one of them's the eighth on the old course. I mean, <laughs> you're, you're, you're in real trouble, aren't you? Yeah, you're it's right. It's not going to get the job. No. So, but but you look at that bit of land. Where else would you build a par three? <sighs> okay. Nothing come, coming in. No, we might we might come back to that. I'm still thinking. I'm still thinking about the 15th and 16th just being a way to get from the uh, Cypress Point, <laughs> just being a way to get from the 14th green to the 17th tee. No, <laughs> when there are very exceptional. exceptional. Okay. Here's the question then. So, so what role? And we probably, we might come back to this on the podcast in the future. What role then did the camera play in golf course architecture? Because what you're talking about there is the signature holes that get photographed and put on the cover of the magazines, Derek. And I think you're right. Par threes tend to be it. When people go to photograph courses, the par threes are the, the holes that tend to – because you can see the whole thing in one frame. And then what impact has the change with moving to the drone as the more prominent way for people who are into course architecture to view golf courses, drone footage and and uh, drones that fly over the course, as opposed to a still shot? What role is that maybe playing in the changing way golf courses uh, – this new direction of golf course design that we're seeing? I wonder what those influences are. There has to be some impact, surely. Adrian, I can. I, I, well, yeah, I, I was going to say this is a this is right up Adrian's alley. Well, I think it's it's like Clay said. It's an easy, or I think you said it, Derek. It's an easy shot to get 
a pretty picture of a par three and they're often in pretty locations. But it's also a little bit lazy, I think, mm-hmm. as a photographer. You can you can use a long lens and compress a whole par five into a frame and it can look great. You can see you can see the strategy of the hole, you can see what's in play off the tee, what's in play for the layup and, and what the green complex looks like. Um, so it's it's a little bit lazy, and I think drones are a little bit lazy way of mm-hmm. showing par fours off. Um, so, but it's it's a good thing, you know. It's probably mm-hmm. it's it's a different way of looking at a hole to to get up a bit elevated like that and look at it from. Mm-hmm. And, and Mackenzie was right. The 16th at Cypress Point should have been a par four. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is for a lot, isn't it? A lot of people have to play left and yeah. then pitch on, don't they? There's no yeah. – not everyone can make that. Have you played there, Clutch? You've been to Cypress? Yeah. You have. The 15th, in fact, the 15th in fact, is just to connect a hole. Yeah, that's right. It's just in fact, turned up on the path and did play it as a par four on the way to the tee. little path. You can, I mean, it would have been the most amazing drivable par four. With the tee more on the left. Is that on the on the path on the way from the oh right back on the way from going the fifteenth okay how so, far so, back so will you, will you make it a two hundred eighty yard whatever yeah. so most people are laying up and they're picking which part of the cliff they're going to lay up onto to pitch a ball onto the green but a bit hard to criticise that whole bit <laughs> I don't think you're getting the job there Clates you haven't no. sold yourself half half par holes yeah. half par holes are a great thing aren't of course they? they are. like, it's, um, well, not an alternate tee there, like you've got next well, to the 8th yeah. at Bamboo, yeah, well, above yeah. the 8th green there is the I alternate think, tee. I think there were some architects now who, given that, would have argued, well, let's build a tee for a par 4 and, both, play, and yeah. a par 3 and play both. I always think 15 and 16 at Royal Melbourne West is com- a combined par 8. It's just Yeah, that's true. You're right. Just get through there yeah. in 8 four, shots. 4-4 four, four really is perfect. 5-3 yeah. yeah. will do you. 3-5 yeah. <laughs> is not out of the question there either, is it? Uh, over mm. on the other side of the road. Uh, enough about course architecture for the moment, Clay. Yeah, because you're a special guest, you got to put an item on the good, good Google Doc list. You didn't get to actually access it yourself. Eh? You okay. typed it in for yeah. you. But yeah. the debacle, there's, there's rules. The debacle this past week with Christina Kim being hammered on social media for adhering to the rules of the game. Clay, give us a thumbnail sketch of what happened and then perhaps your thoughts about some of the fallout from that. Well, one player was teeing off. Correct? Mm-hmm. Kendall Dye was... T- no, she wasn't teeing off. The other player was teeing off. Kendall Dye's caddy... But Kendall Dye asked the other girl's caddy what she was hitting. What she hitting. And the yeah. other girl's the other girl's caddy gave it the Get three the, fingers the down signals. for the 8-eye. Yeah. And Christina saw a rules of it and said, you know... What's Christina good? was in the group. Three players in, in the, the group. group. Christina saw it happen. And the question is, are we playing by the rules of the game or not? Mm. And you know, the the accusation that well it happens all the time. Well, it actually doesn't happen all the time. I don't know about that. <laughs> well, the, not the hand signal because I mean, I've, you know, it's against the rules. If you want to go and see what clubs, go walk over and look in their bag. Mm. They'll let you look nearly always. If they, you know, and if they don't want to look, they'll put a towel over the bag. But you know, if you go and have a look and see what club they're hitting. But this kind of oh, you know, it doesn't matter that much, or everyone does it. Well, actually, everyone doesn't do it, and. Even if they do do it, they're breaking the rules. Mm. It's, it's kind of it's the backstopping thing again. It's like let's help your mates out and buddy buddy. And really, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I remember reading it. There was a big blow up at the Ryder Cup in 1969 where Ken Still and Dave Hill, I think, one of the British caddies asked, just out of curiosity, not for any, you know, great shot. What, what club was that? And it kind of blew up into a. Christina Kim type scandal of you know like like the Americans claimed the whole I think I might have that wrong but you know so you learn very early on that you can't ask for advice and you can't the game would be a shambles if you could tell tell each other what club you're hitting and we you know where does it stop you know 
what should I do here? Do I lay it up or do I go over? What <laughs> do you right. think? You know? I mean, you've got to make your own decisions. So, I mean, Shuckleford had it right on, on the blog. He just ripped it. He said, this is ridiculous. He so, got belted by a few people for yeah, that too. You know, wh- where, where's the game going to go if all of a sudden we let people, let players ask other players for advice? I mean, you, it's a fundamental, play the balls that lies and work mm. it out yourself. That's a, they're the two most basic rules in golf. You can't ask for advice. F- full disclosure. <laughs> Christina Kim's been a guest on the iSeek podcast and on State of the Game with us, Clay. So you've caddied for us. So we're, we're, we would call yeah. that we're friends with Christina yeah. Kim. So that's just in the interest of full disclosure. Yeah. What's more disturbing, Adrian, uh, that Kendall Dye fully admitted the next day she didn't know the rule, which I find staggering, that she was not allowed to ask the other person's <laughs> caddy what she was hitting. Uh, I, really, I, I don't know how you could have been I, golf long enough to be that quality of player and not know Is that rule. that more disturbing? Is the reaction of a whole bunch of other players saying, well, it's a stupid rule anyway, they should get rid of it, more disturbing? Or that, that, the reaction to- that's a fine reaction to have. I get that. D- that's you, okay. you can say it's a stupid rule, yeah. but it still is a rule. Yeah. Like- or is the reaction to what Christina Kim did? She got called a snitch, and I bet you're popular amongst the other players, all sorts of things. It was just what we saw on social media, which is the more disturbing element about what's unfolded there. There's this thing called the internet, and uh, people have opinion. Maybe you've heard of it. People have very strong opinions on there. and, and Not loosely held. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And, yeah, I mean, if, if you're going to take a position on something like Christina did, then you're going to cop a lot of flack and good on her for, for doing it. She would have known what was going to come her way with this. Um, it would have taken a fair bit of courage for her to... to but she's not lacking, by the way. She's one of the... No. She's not lacking in Technically, courage. if you don't report it... Well, then she's broken the rule you, herself. You've broken the rule by agreeing... You, you've seen two players break a rule... And haven't protected the field, which is one of your jobs. Your, your, your job when you sign that scorecard is to – your signature on that card says, this is a true card. These players have played by the rules. Yep. You've seen them break a rule, haven't said anything about it, then technically well, you get whacked too. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure she, that wasn't what she was thinking about when she did it. But you know, the ones who had a go at her were completely missing the point. And, and, and there's, she, there's and, layers and again, to she it. She should never have been put in that position. Don't no. And tell her what club she's using. <laughs> know the rules. Come on. And there's layers to it too. Like you, then you get the wave of criticism that she shouldn't be engaging with all the people that are criticising her on online. Well, that she should put on Twitter and mention. Yeah, it, which... she can do what she wants. Of course she can. It's and you know, good on her for you know, just Derek. Any thoughts? Would you like to wade into this? So the the the, the rule is that you cannot solicit information. That's right. And, and you can't give it. You cannot. You cannot ask. Oh, is it is it true that you can't give it? Because I'm not sure. Yeah, they, they should both. Well, they both were penalised, weren't they? Yeah, you can't yeah, give it either. No, yeah. you can't say I'm hitting okay, an eight on here. I feel like I've seen that in tournaments before, where one caddy will voluntarily, you know, flash a sign to the other caddy. Now, now the the player is hitting. It hasn't asked for that, but I, I do think so. It, it kind of falls into the level of like backstopping, like you said, Mike, like collusion. And, and to me, it goes back to. A, a, sh- a generational shift in, in, in how at the professional level, at the high amateur level, people play golf. And I think it goes back to, boy, it's it's kind of a big issue when I think about it. Maybe we shouldn't un- un- uncork this. That, but That sound you hear is a can of worms opening, I suspect. Well, it, it's just, you know, we're, 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 golf breeds a, a certain type of athlete now. So much goes into it. Uh, uh, people uh, fine tune their their uh, great great players fine tune 
their swings backwards now from from numbers, and they figure out how to get the ball to do to, to, to read out to give certain numbers. So they have trainers; they train differently. Their uh, golf is attracting a, a new breed of players, and all of this uh, to, to cut short. All of this leads up to the to the conclusion that that it's such a it's such a high tech game that people don't come into it with the same respect for traditions and uh, a knowledge of history of the game that they did. 20, 30 years ago and before. Uh, people come into golf with really almost no knowledge. Young pe- players come in with, with very little knowledge of what came, what happened before they got there. And they don't understand why these rules are in place and the integrity of the game. And I'm, I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush here. I understand that. But I think this, this really goes down to a, a cultural shift that, we're, that we've been going through in, in golf. And it goes back to not just not knowing the rules, but almost not caring or not respecting the fa- the fact that that we have rules in place and 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 the the generations that came before them and, and what they accomplished and, and and who they were and um it, it's very rare to meet young players now who have a, a full grasp of the dimension of golf that existed before they came on the scene and i, I think this is just another example that illustrates that well you've been around the game and professional players most of your adult life mm. do you think that's true because you interact with a lot of young players as yeah, well now, absolutely professional players well the young players i they get it i mean simo gets it mm-hmm. lucas michelle gets it they they but you know the, the, we get this i had this argument with someone last week why shouldn't we get a drop out of a divot i mean don't you get the game wasn't that the first rule of golf? Players that lies. I mean, next time you bounce out of the trees, why don't you throw it back in the trees? That'd be you know that's reasonable too, isn't it? <laughs> if you if you want the drop out of the divot, that is absolutely the rule. Yeah. So it's you know to Derek's point, that's the third wheel of the the, the, the respect for the game is, you know, it's not fair. We all should have drops out of divots. Well, you know, that was the whole point of the game was you dealt with the unfairness of it because mm. there's plenty of things that go your way as well. No, of course. Yeah. You, know, you you want to take all the good but none of the bad. Mm. But the, the, the whole point of golf is how you manage the good and the bad. So I reckon, I think I wrote about this at the time, so not long after the Lexi incident at the ANA, I was staggered by some of the people who didn't seem to get what had happened there, which was she signed up to play in a tournament under a certain set of rules. She breached one of the rules and she was handed the penalty hmm. that was in the rules for that breach. And there were some people who I was flabbergasted didn't seem to get that. But that one, and then there was John Rahm not long afterwards. The other thing that seems to have happened, Clates, is that players themselves no longer seem to feel that it's their responsibility to know the rules, that there's a rules official on hand, and yeah, it's their true. job. Yeah. Do you reckon that's true too? And yeah. what are the pitfalls of that? Yeah, I mean, I kind of get where they're coming from in Understand one way, because there are so many – Greg Turner, I remember, penalised at the European Open, Sunningdale Cement Hole, drove the ball through the fairway, and his ball was sitting, there were two small cables, and his ball was sitting on top of the cables. So he took the cables away and placed the ball. Mm-hmm. But because it wasn't touching the ground, he should have dropped it. Right. And he got home that night and eh, checked, DQ'd. So you get, you know, Matt Southgate, and then the leaf blew across oh, his line. Oh, what a ridiculous one that one. So <laughs> players are constantly aware of. Weird rulings that uh-huh. they they didn't know, and people only know because that things like that happen. Yeah. So that so that 
they're always they're so aware of what can go wrong now. They just ask someone. Yeah. And of course, you know, it costs Greg Turner a couple of thousand quid. Now it can cost you two hundred thousand. Oh, absolutely. Not yeah. that it should matter, but, but they play with so yeah. much money that I'm going to get this right. As if you haven't got enough to think about when you're putting. I, I now actually am a bit paranoid about leaves coming across my line. But now the, that rule's changed, right? If if that leaf changed hit that his ball, I, I believe so. If that leaf hit his ball now, it'd just be players sure. alive. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. he tapped it in, wasn't it? That was the problem. He tapped it in. Yes, he went ahead and played. He should have replayed the he shot. Replayed the shot. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, taking but basic drops like taking a drop from a sprinkler head and stuff yeah. like that. You, you ought not need an official for that. No. Yeah, I just yeah. There's this incredible fear of doing the wrong thing. Just on the the giving advice thing. One last thing. There'll be a lot of club golfers out there who think to themselves, "It's it's just my mates asking me what club I just hit. How do I not look like an idiot or like a like a prick by saying to him?" Piss off. Oh, I'm we're not we're going you. down the expletive route now. Folks have started the ball rolling, so now we're all just getting there. Okay. I could have, I could have gone. There'll be an E on this there. episode for those who've made it this far, yeah. You get three per episode, I I'm think, not before sure you need to do it. Anyway, what, what do you do in that situation? Just it's as a club, club golf, golfer, Adrian, let's yeah. be completely honest. Is Do you think of the la- laundry list of rules that are being breached on the oh, average round? Absolutely. Of absolutely. That's anywhere... There'll, there'll be people listening, though, who are like, oh, I don't know what to do in this situation. Existential <laughs> crisis. Yeah. Yeah. There'll be incomplete existential crisis. Yeah. Well, I'll just say it's the rules. I can't tell you. But is it, this is a, this is a, isn't this really rule only apply? Should it only apply to professional golf? Yeah. That, that would be bifurcation, I'm, though. I'm kind of with to, you, Joe. Yeah, I, mean, I think so, I, too. I mean, the guys I play with on Saturday. I mean, when I... Yeah, when I when I play golf, I stand on the on a tee and I'm like, "What are you hitting? What are you going to hit? Are you going to go to six? You going to go to six? I don't know if I can get. The, you know, we we talk about it. It's it's just it's it's, it's, just it's, it's admitting yeah, it's, to it's, breaking the rules, Derek. Yeah, I thought <laughs> the expo- I thought the swearing. One of many examples for being sure. A cheat. We've got this little thing where we can clip sound bites out of the That's podcast, Derek. Right. This is yeah. <laughs> the day Derek. Yes, I, I do not pass the. Uh, <laughs> you failed the smell. Although in America, you're probably not playing competition every time you tee it up. Which is another thing we no, do in Australia, no, so it probably no, doesn't no, matter no. so much. And I was speaking exactly. hypothetically; I wasn't talking about myself in the <laughs> no. situation. I was <laughs> it's just it was complete hypotheticals. Uh, indeed, yeah. So I just thought that was interesting, and I, I can't. I don't know which I'm more disturbed by: the lack of knowledge of the or the story that came out later that week in Golf Week, where a lot of the caddies and players said this happens every week, every tournament. And it's confusing Twice around it? because they do signal the TV guys. Well, yeah, but that's and then you that's might different. You, and that's you, if you, different. And if you see that, it's okay, right? That's just the same as looking in a bag. Yeah, yeah. like that's. Here's yeah. the other thing: how, how helpful is that as a pro, Clades, to know what another player hit? Is that something you've ever wanted to know? This is the second thing that makes me wonder: who cares what the other player hit? You've got to know what you're going to hit. It's less helpful now because you've got to know what lofts they've got on their clubs. Uh-huh. I mean, a seven iron now is what? What's a seven iron now? Is it a 40-degree club or a 35-degree club. No. So I played with Michael Long the other day, good player. Really good player. Uh, it was, he had a new set of tightless irons. That he was, I was hitting four iron. He was hitting eight iron because yep. his eight iron looks like a six iron and he hits it further than I do. And, and I was clubbing for the duff. But <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> So it's in a 43-degree club with a P on the bottom of it. Yeah. So what is that, an eight iron or it's a pitching wedge? It's a 1970s eight iron, isn't so, it? So you've you've got to know what what lofts are on the guys' clubs now before it's actually any use at all. The old days, a nine iron was a nine was a forty five degree club, and everyone had a forty five degree nine iron. And is it helpful to know what other players hit? Yeah, sure, it's helpful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm. But and if you want to know, go look at his go bag. Go look at his bag. Nothing against that. Mm. 
Yeah, interesting. Interesting. And the fallout, as I said. Uh, so if you didn't play golf, you think, well, it's a stupid rule. You know, you can, you can look in the guy's bag, but his key can't tell you what he's got. Well, yeah, but it goes back to the principle of you can't offer advice. So if someone comes to the last hole, you know, someone comes to the third hole of Augusta and he's made out of contention, he said, what do you think I should go or lay up? No, lay up, mate, lay up. Well, you can't be having that happening, can you? No, not in an ideal world. Not in an ideal Yeah, interesting stuff. What do you think Greg would have said to Fellow on third end of Augusta? Hey, Nick, lay it up, lay it up. <laughs> Get the three wood out. Get the three wood out. Get the three wood. Knock it in the back bunker yeah. and we can have a game for the rest of the way well, in. What do you think Fellow would have said to Greg in the trees? Hey, Greg, go for it. Go yeah. for it. <laughs> I'm just looking for our next topic. I wanted to talk about uh, the golf.com survey, which I find interesting. It's a, I'm a little embarrassed to admit that, but the anonymous player survey they do every year, golf.com. I'm surprised by some of the questions in there. Yeah. There's, and look, there's, Have you ever had sex on a golf course? Yeah, well, that's just – that's clearly clickbait. Yeah, okay. All right. Isn't it? I mean, does anybody really care about that? But there was some interesting stuff about courses. So talk amongst yourselves while I have a look down uh, and find what the course take was, which I thought was interesting. Okay, I'll be editing out a bit of quiet here. Check your phone there, Clotes. That's a good idea. Okay. Uh, oh, hang on. Here's one. This was interesting. Do you consider I've got backstopping cheating? What do you reckon the answers were here, Clates? I know what they are. 61% said no. 61%? So, so at least there are 30. I wonder what Jimmy Walker said. So at least... Uh, he would have been depends, wouldn't he? <laughs> at least it depends if I like the guy or not. Right. So at least 39% of players recognised that backstopping was against... was. Have you got the courses there, Adrian? I do. Yeah. What's your favourite yes. uh, favourite tour course? Riviera is twenty percent. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Millfield Village sixteen percent came in second. Yeah. The, that I just find that infuriating. It kind of it devalues no, the Riviera. It's not as infuriating as what the, what got voted as the second worst tour course. That is infuriating. Silverado. No. 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 Uh, Trinity so, Forest. Trinity oh, Forest. Trinity Forest. Sorry, yes, yeah. Trinity Forest. I was, I, was the, I was looking at the wrong end of the spectrum there. Derek, have you been to Trinity Forest? I haven't. No, not yet. It's a tremendous, on a difficult, but they did an amazing golf course. Here's how the Muirfield Village thing is on imagination, which just shows you should never listen to a golf pro about <laughs> about being on a golf, golf course. Well, the pro- I mean, Trinity Forest isn't. The, isn't the challenge that they're normally presented with each week. So their game's not optimised for that. So you can see where they're coming from. No, no yeah. They're wrong. How, how they're can wrong. you not go there and say, this is a great course? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, it, perhaps it's the way the question's asked. The thing I take offence to with Muirfield Village and the, way, and the reason why it devalues the Riviera rating is because it's they visual, superficially there's some similarities between the two. They're both extremely well presented mm-hmm. and... Uh, there's, there's actually, you know, some pretty penal rough in both. You got that first hole at Riviera, which is just a little, little landing strip between. Yeah, it is now. It was originally it was yeah. a quite wide. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean you can fairway. see the plane corridor there's yeah. huge, but Muirfield Village is all of that dialed up to eleven, and you can see the standards by which they've judged Riviera and some of these other layouts under through that lens. Is is that the fact that Muirfield Village gets a look in there. I mean Muirfield Village could be great if they just mowed the whole thing. I know they've they've redone the thing. I have to suspend judgment until that's, we see what they've done. No, that's not gonna happen. Here was I here's what I thought I finally found it. And here's what is just extraordinary to me. Augusta National, Bay Hill, Torrey Pines, T P C San Antonio and Old White Greenbrier all got the same number of votes as favourite course amongst tour pros. Think about that. Augusta National, 
Bay Hill, Torrey Pines South, TPC San Antonio, and Old White Greenbrier. And Quail Hollow finished ahead of them (laughs) as well. That was... Wow. How can anybody rate Quail Hollow ahead of Augusta National? Now, obviously, there's, uh, these things are personal. Derek, did you have some thoughts on that? No, I was just going to, you know, it, well, it's interesting to see that uh, Quail Hollow and, and San Antonio both sh- show up on both lists. Yeah. Yeah. San Antonio. Polarizing course. But I think you look at the, the list, of, you know, the favorite tour course list, and, and it, it tells you something about the way professional tour players see a golf course and what, what they, what they, um, what works for them, what they appreciate, and it's it's very telling. I think Riviera is definitely like the outlier. It's pretty impressive that Riviera mm. gets and still only gets twenty percent of the you know the uh, votes, but it's so unlike the other courses on that list. It's also interesting to see that Sawgrass is is rated that high. The for, for all the controversy that, that that course is, and 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 how polarizing it seems to be for for fans and architecture fans, uh, the pros it rates pretty highly. For oh, they, most they're the just pros. sucking up to the tour. Yeah. putting that one in there. Don't well, isn't that well the, the whole point of well, it? For, don't for you the think? Well, that, that was my other question. That my other my last comment though is: is do you think do they really like Murfield, or is this does that have something to do with the overall with experience Jeff. of that week? Are they judging too. these courses every every? Tour players going to answer down, the, you know, with their own terms. But is that uh, really a reflection of the golf course, or is it just the, ref- you know, Perhaps. are there other factors the motivating tour, that? But honestly, Clades, do tour pros even really think about golf courses for the most part? No, not well. Some do, but no, it's they, pretty rare in it. That's the so. So if they played the New York Open at or the Long Island Open at NGLA, would that get eighty percent of the votes? Is the best course on the tour? How big's the purse? Who's the sponsor? What's the I don't, I don't Who's know. the sponsor? What's, what's, this, what's this golf course? You're <laughs> talking, what's this tournament? What's the, yeah, there's, well, it's true, isn't it? The, the, the golf, by the end of it, once you're a touring pro, the reality is that the golf itself is yeah. kind of secondary to everything else that is the business of being a golf pro, isn't yep. it? Yep. And so for a lot of your brethren, golf is – well, half of them don't even play if they're not playing in a tournament, do they? No. Not interested in the game. Uh, so much it's about is it fair – and is it in good condition? Mm. Will it suit my game? Can yeah. I make a lot of money there? Yeah. Uh, can I win yeah. a big check? And look, I, that's not to be disparaging uh, to golf pros, but it does suggest that we put far too much weight on the opinions of golf professionals when it comes to important issues like golf courses, their value, yeah. and how they should It'd be play. interesting to see what Zach Blair picked because he would be one worth listening to. You would think. And Jeff? Jeff I don't think partner. it would be that. Interesting. I think we could probably figure that out. <laughs> In fact, actually, if you really wanted to, Clay, you could probably come up with Zach's list yourself. Yeah. <laughs> could you? That's the thing. Kapalua on, didn't on make this... the list, but I guess well, Zach might not have qualified for Kapalua. So that's... Did he this year? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Sorry, Derek. I think to, you're this, to this point, uh, I, I was talking to Ron Witten recently, and he he shared oh, an anecdote. Break. Like he said, he was talking to Tom Weisskopf one time, oh. and um, <laughs> they are talking about uh, architecture, you know, and, you know, when Weisskopf got into the design game, and, and Weisskopf said to him, you know, like when I was playing, like I played golf all over the world at the greatest courses in the on the entire planet, and because I was so focused on what I had to do, I don't remember a damn thing about yeah, yeah. almost yeah, any of course. them. Well, in fact, it, you could probably make the case that it's a detriment. And I, I always felt like that's one thing that happened to Jeff Ogilvy later in his career mm. that he spent so much time on golf courses thinking this is horrible. 
why is this golf course like this that it has to at some point impact your game? Yeah. Ben Crenshaw probably suffered from the same look, thing. Looking like down, that. not looking up. Yeah. You've exactly. got, you got really got to look down to, to be a golf pro. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. As long as they entertain, we don't care. I think we're going to leave it there, guys. We've got lots of other things on the list, but we don't have time to go through them all. Clates has started to yawn, so he better get in the car and yeah, head back to, right. uh, to where he's staying. It's been fantastic to have you all aboard. First things first, say goodbye to you, Derek, on the other side there of Talking Golf's Talking Golf Atlanta, I think we decided, didn't we? Mobile Studio One. That's right. Yeah, the mobile a uh, two. I think I'm two. Two, yeah, yeah. Well, you're the one. You're one. You're the one that's got the booze in it anyway. So good luck to you. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I'm the mobile bar. <laughs> that's right. Uh, <laughs> enjoy, will travel. Enjoyed having you on, mate. Hope you enjoyed it. Been great to talk to you. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it very much. Clates, cheers, Derek. Nice to talk to you. Well, um, are you? I'll drop in and see you next year. I'll be over there. So. Wherever you are, I'll, that's where I'll be. I'm going to be at the US Open caring for Lucas Michelle. So if you're anywhere near I'll be the there US too. Open, I'll be there. Yes. Otherwise, okay. Look forward to it. All right. Fantastic. And for anybody who hasn't done, go and listen to Derek's interview with Clates from earlier this year, I think it was, Derek. Fantastic. Uh, it was, be, yes. Might be one of the, one, all, of the best. one of the all-time great podcast intros ever written and read, I must say. I thought it was fantastic. If I'd stolen yours for today, this would have been a much better uh, edition of the show. <laughs> uh, Adrian, always great to have you aboard. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Rod. Been a joy to sit in here with you. And Clates, been wonderful to have you, mate. Thank you, Rod. Great nice to, to see your studio finally. I've spoken to you from this room many, many, many times, it's but great. it's good to have you here and with us. So uh, what are you doing in Sydney? A bit of pro-am work and various other yeah. things and then off to well, We had friends from London, so we showed them around the flashy parts of the city. They yeah. think, uh, interesting observation, they said, it just looks like everybody's on holidays <laughs> in Australia. <laughs> if they go to Queensland, everybody actually probably is well, just they did, about they did holidays, go to eh? the Queensland, yeah, but really. they, Melbourne. And, so, and then I'm playing a couple of pro-ams and then driving back. Now we go, I'm driving back to visit Frank Williams. Yep. The, at some point must not, be a podcast guest not somewhere. the founder of the Australian Masters but David Inglis was but he <laughs> worked the, for the Australian Masters so who's the making of it would it be fair to say Frank did part it, of yeah, the making it was a of huge it. part of them so I'm going to drop in on Frank and we should get him on the podcast and you should talk to Frank yeah I will it's, uh, he's true I've, I've interviewed Frank before and he's fantastic uh, great to have you aboard Glades. thank you very much for that and that's episode 8 of the Good Good Golf Podcast in the books hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed talking I really did enjoy talking today it was terrific to get through a lot of that stuff it's architecture heavy but if you're into that stuff uh, I think you will have found it good we will be back to do it all again next week here on the Good Good Golf Podcast